Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bunch Podcast here with my boy Rafa Rusi. Rafa, how you feeling tonight? I'm feeling really good. Feeling great. Glad to hear that. Both of my little girls and my wife went to Spain to spend some time there. So I'm going to have the house all to myself. That hasn't happened in a long, long time. Wow. So that's going to be nice. You got some projects lined up? or Yeah, I've got tons of things. We're going to talk about some of them tonight. Um, cool. We're going to talk about, um, well, you hear it when we talk about it, but we are going to talk about some projects that we're, we got coming up. Fantastic. Cool. I I wanted to take a quick moment and just thank everybody that's been supporting us everywhere on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and all the other platforms that you can listen to podcasts. We've just been getting so much love from everybody. I want to go ahead and just read a quick comment. It was pretty cool. Uh, Jeffrey Palfini posted on YouTube, I think was the episode with uh, uh, Mark Firth, episode number two. Uh, so this was a really cool comment. Uh, this was great, y'all. Well seasoned and the perfect length for draining a bottle of wine. Look at that. I was, shout out to the Boondocks Film Society. Yeah. That's Jeff's project. Yes, yes. Uh, it was nice to hear the love for the dearly departed Dream Away Lodge and the inimitable Daniel Osman at the very end. It and he will be missed uh, speaking from the diner drinker, sometimes collaborator side of the fence, we have to enjoy places like the Prairie Well, Cantina, Moon Cloud while we can and honor the tremendous and relentless efforts that go into keeping their doors open as life-giving community gathering places. Mm, preach. Yeah. Preach. These are the people making the Berkshires and its neighboring communities the special place that it is. Yelp that, motherfuckers. Yo, yelp that, motherfuckers. <laughs> that was a nice little... Honestly, can we like throw up like a little one of those prayer emojis or something <laughs> on the video stream right now? Because that's, nice that's a nice little bit, you know, both for us and for, for those that are working hard. I appreciate that. So definitely, as Rafa said, give us a follow on Instagram. Give us a subscribe on one of the platforms of your choosing. Get that thumbs up button for your boys. And soon girls, and we are excited to be back, fueled. I've always felt like when the customer engagement is at, a, is at an all-time high and when people are actually sharing their appreciation, the work gets easier, you start to get a little bit more looser, mm-hmm. you start to have a little bit more fun, which is an uh, exciting place to be in as we're getting a rhythm, and we're excited to go ahead and have our next guest on tonight. Rafa, why don't you introduce our next guest? You, you got a nice little voice, vocal stream going on tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, tonight we have with us Casey uh, Rothstein Fitzpatrick, who's here with us. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome. I want to say KCP, but it's K- KRP. Those are your initials? KRP? CMRF. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. CMRF. <laughs> All right, not as not as as awesome as, as it sounded in my head as you were spinning. Yeah, okay. <laughs> KMRF, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast show, man. Thanks for being here. We Thank really you. appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's good to be here. So. Uh, with with all of our guests, we'd like to just do a little bit of deep dive on you. This is exciting for me because we don't know each other all that well. Uh, definitely past each other and here and over there and are starting to get to know each other a little bit. But uh, I know very little. And so I'd like to just go ahead and 
ask you a couple questions and get a baseline for our listeners that are more than three now, Rafa. We're doing good, man. Yeah. Let's get let's get those thumbs up buttons going. <laughs> like, let's get it going. Um, hear a little bit about you, and then let's uh, let's talk shop for a little bit. See what happens when you finish your glass of vodka. You know, we'll, we'll <laughs> hopefully have a couple more stimulating things to talk about. Uh, but yeah, give me, give me, give me a background. Like what's, what's your jive? You know, what, what gets you going and where, where are you coming from and when do you get here and, and what are you doing? Yeah, well, uh, I am the, the general manager of Racebrook Lodge. It's a family property. Um, I, uh, I moved back to the area about 10 years ago <clears throat> and, uh, was helping out there. Um, started a farm on the property at that time and, um, uh, my brother was there working with my father, and he was transitioning out, and uh, and I just got more and more involved, and eventually stepped into the general manager role, sometime in 2015, and so I've been doing that, uh, doing that ever since with the Racebrook Lodge Stagecoach Tavern, um, and uh, running events, um, and all kinds of gatherings there. Did you grow up here? Yeah, I grew up in Stockbridge. Oh wow! I was born in Stockbridge. Uh, interestingly, <clears throat> I grew up in hospitality. Uh, my my mother's family ran the Red Lion Inn, still runs the Red Lion Inn, uh, and so I grew up running around the halls of the Red Lion um, as a toddler, and um, got involved working summers there and stuff like that. Never really considered a career in hospitality, so I never really took it seriously at that time. I was going to go to New York City. Uh, work in film, do interesting things, which I did do for a while, but then um, uh, just kind of burned out on all that and uh, spent a lot of time in a lot of different places and uh, just re realized that Berkshires was as good as any other place and I had community and family here and a, a beautiful, amazing property at Racebrook where I could uh, really realize a lot of the... the um, uh, dreams and visions I have around cultivating community, mm. creating space for people to uh, play music and dance and connect and gather around a fire and engage with nature and just immerse themselves in nature. And <clears throat> even in the times uh, when I was um, uh, in New York and India and Greece and different places working in documentary film, um, and uh, doing other kind of arts-based and education-based projects, I always kind of um, almost reflexively was throwing parties and having events and bringing people together. And it was like the hospitality gene just yeah. like wouldn't, wouldn't stay quiet. And it was always something on the side. But when I came back here and I got more involved in Racebook, I, I really felt that uh, real, really as my calling as uh, uh, to create spaces for people to gather and to connect. Yes, love it, and that ties so beautifully to to what our man said in the uh, in that little review or comment. Just like thank you to the people that are creating these things for us, you know, day in and day out. Because you have this vision, you want to go ahead and get it going, and now you're realizing it, and then it's up to us to enjoy it with you, and then thank you to a certain extent. Uh, that's super. So, do, do you know my wife Emily? Like, do you guys have a past together? Because she grew up in Stockbridge, running around the Red Line, and too. Maybe, Maybe different floors. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it could have like <laughs> been running on different floors. Her first job was was running times. the switchboard, uh, the the call board 
when she was like 14, just like switching, you know, plug, plug to plug. Yeah, I probably at that time I wasn't like hanging out just below the front desk behind. I might have been like working in the restaurant or busing or maybe not. I'm not sure. I don't know the timeline. Wow, there's got to be some overlap. I'm sure there was some overlap and some crisscross, yeah. That's awesome. And uh, the as you're mentioning film and whatnot, it makes more sense keep coming in here and be like, oh, those are nice cameras, which nobody has said that. Even though, <laughs> like, you know, I, it, it's starting to make more sense. It's been a while now. I mean, it's been it's been about ten years since I've been seriously working in that field, and like these look like alien objects right now. So like even from that time, like so um, you did do so a, yeah. a documentary when you were in India, right? I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was the, that, that was the, the project that kind of launched that that chapter of my life. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure, it was amazing. It was 2021, it was 2001, right? So over 20 years ago, 22 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, we, I went with, Indi- with uh, a group of people to the Mahaku Mela Festival in India, which is the largest gathering of people in the world. It happens every 12 years. How many people It's a, it's a Hindu pilgrimage. Uh, you know, estimates range from like, one ridiculous number to another <laughs> something like 20 million people like all gathered together in the same place at the same time uh you know and like hundreds of millions of people over the course of maybe 50 million people over the course of a month that the festival lasts they come and go they really just most of them are just very devout hindus who come and bathe in the river at a specific time and then go just return to their village because that bath can be uh it just improve their lives and their spiritual lives and their rebirth and their karma and all that but then there's a whole slews of people who just hang out the whole time like a lot of the ascetic monks uh, sadhus of hinduism and all the um politicians and gurus and people in between it's it's just a big kind of like gangster festival (laughs) it's really interesting you know my boy sadhguru i know i know of sadhguru i have not met him in person but he's one of the few of those gurus that hasn't somehow been discredited by scandals. Wait, is that the guy? <laughs> that lot, the guy with, that has the whole uh, has a whole farming background and has a bunch of different things that he talks about farming. I feel like I saw an episode of him talking to Joe Rogan about farming. I don't think, think Sadhguru no. talked to Joe Rogan. I don't know, maybe. No, he's he's more in the in like the yoga practice and like mindfulness and I swear to God, I'm gonna look he this up. He does right plant now. a lot of trees. I mean he does do a yeah. lot of environmental work and work with people and I, I know that he's heavily involved in planting trees and reforestation and huh. things efforts like that. Well I uh, I I wanna I wanna dig a little deeper on India. Yeah, that's this my guy, guy, right? Sadhguru. Yeah. Yeah. There's an episode of him with Joe Rogan. No it's way. Incredible. Yeah. It's all right. I know go, what I'm doing tonight. They go really deep on talking about. I I feel like he was promoting uh, some sort of. Uh, it, it had something to do with farming. I think it was related to soil. He was going around the country and talking to farmers. And to and and uh, figuring out ways to uh, bring nutrients back to the soil, uh, particularly uh, soil of farms that just had been farmed massively, uh, stripped. Uh, yeah, exactly. with chemical fertilizers and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, it's I'm pretty sure that, that that's what. No, he he's a guy who I know or I I see as somebody who actually focuses on really important things and priorities and mm. brings attention to the things that really need to happen. Uh, and and having direct experience with some of these guys, that's fairly unique. I mean, they're just they're like they're like rock stars. They're just trying. To, a lot of those guys are just trying to do whatever they can do to be famous and get a huge big following. And like politicians and 
Rockstar. He it's definitely just, has a big following, yeah. especially if it's on the Joe Rogan yeah, podcast. It's for, it's for good. It's for good reasons. It is. So I, I spent some time in India as well, uh, and before I left, the guy who I was staying with, he said, "If you do not go down to this uh, ashram and spend a week there, you're missing one of the most critical parts of what India is." And I was like, "Okay." And then I guess I'm going down to this ashram, so I hopped on a plane. Not knowing anything, signed up for this class. It was, you know, it was a week-long class or whatever. I had to stop smoking cigarettes, which I have, which was challenging at the time, but invigorating in other ways. And and sure enough, like there's there's Sadhguru, who I was not at all expecting to see. And like the the people that knew who he was had this like presence and like appreciation of something bigger in the room. Mm-hmm. And people were telling me stories of. Oh, I saw him make a lion levitate like you know, fifteen feet above the air, and I mean, crazy stuff that they were doing. I mean, whole week long sessions of silence, mm-hmm. of like you're just in meditation for days and days. And Isn't there a retreat in the a silent retreat in the Berkshires? I feel like there is one in Shelburne Falls. There's a yeah Center. in yeah, Shelburne that was, Falls. For yeah. years, that was my thing. I was oh, really? I went to several of those Vipassana retreats. So what do you do when you go to one of those? You just you don't meditate talk? meditate and you learn to meditate. Yeah. And you, you don't talk unless you need something. For how long? Ten days. Ten days yeah. without talking really at all. It's really good. It's so good. What does it do to your mind? Like, what, what did you feel? The, among, the, probably the one thing that I took most from it was learning to understand what, what was real and what was not real in terms of one's thoughts. Mm. Like, what, what, it, what are thoughts are actually just noise and what thoughts are actually valid and i've been practicing for a while so i can't can't tell anymore but (laughs) (laughs) but i remember like getting pretty clear about that yeah and what uh, was the effect and the after after effect did you did you feel any anything different sure just a a, a more presence a clarity Mm. of purpose yeah um and uh just a kind of ability to process information and to uh, keep a, a a level head um, but it, it's, you know, they, that's like anything, it really, in order to sustain it, it requires regular practice, right. regular meditation practice. Yeah. And, and I have not kept it up. I have fantasized about going back, uh, but with two small girls and a business. It's, it's, it's oh, hard. Anytime soon. Yeah. It's hard. So the course I did was called Inner Engineering, which like totally tees up with exactly what you're saying. And we had two, they were probably like 45 minute practices that we did like in the morning you're not supposed to eat beforehand and then again in the evening and they were like we want you to keep doing this for 40 days and if you can get past 40 days then you've worked it into your routine you're good but like you got to get to 40 days but i was leaving india to go to thailand and so here i am like on planes trying to like you know get into my into my proper feeling and and just Oh, <laughs> and in airports and riding around on a motorcycle in Thailand, and be like, my man, I gotta pull over and you know do my practice. You know? <laughs> I, I I think I lasted like fifteen days, but I always I I agree with you. Like it would be nice to get a group of people together that has both, like that, but in real not reality. That's a poor way of putting it. But how can we how can we bridge the gap and find some of that? mindfulness find some of that better practice and also know that look we are living normal lives and right we the day progresses 
Yeah, we can do both, you know. And yeah. that would be cool if, you know, a group of us get together, even if it's like once a week or oh. send out a random little group chat being like, yo, I'm practicing hey, tonight, who's group? in? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're around for sure. But like, yeah, I don't, folks like you and me, we, we, we pretend we don't have time for it. So yeah. Let's make some time. Let's make some time. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right, so cool. Uh, film uh, is that documentary something that I could watch? At some I can point? send you a link. It's not. It's it's out. Actually, no. Yeah, it's it's out there. I mean, one of the things, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I didn't really sustain a career in that field is I, I was I would like do something, and then it it was just not in my in my wheelhouse to like really stay on it and stay on it to get it out there. I wanted mm. to get move on to the next thing, mm. and. Um, and so I, I moved back to New York and we opened up a studio and we did a bunch of projects um, in documentary film and uh, live performance events and things like that. We started a nonprofit that was focused on using art as a um, tool, a window into different cultures. So documentary film was the thing I was into, but we also worked with uh, dancers and musicians and, um, and, and we brought it into some schools also that, that concept of working with art teachers and stuff like that. So that was great. Love it. Um, but, you know, I ended up just like being behind a desk, just like trying to yeah. deal with all the administration because yeah. we never quite could sustain the, the funding to like really do it, do it for real. So I, I uh, transitioned out, you know, in the, um, about 15 years ago or so. 10 to 15 years ago, I moved to Greece and did video production there um, uh, for like three years, just on the on the underground, and then came back here in like, yeah, 2012, something like that. Sweet. So we, we, we kind of came back there around the same time, because I was like 2014, so we're, we're teed up for a conversation here. Where, where, uh, where were you before, before that? I was in... Uh, in Marblehead, actually, on the North Shore of Boston for a couple of years. And then when Emily and I decided we were moving, we, we came back to this neck of the woods. And as I said, she grew up in Stockbridge. Um, and so it felt like home and glad to be here, for sure. So, you know, I, I no longer have an excuse because... Um, my excuse has always been for the last eight years, like, oh, well, I'm cooking every day, and so I can't go anywhere for dinner. But now I can. Uh, so I'll first apologize for not getting down there sooner. Though I have been, I've been, I went for brunch a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah, we had a great time. It was <laughs> nice. fun. Was there music going on? I think there was it, music. It might, have, might have been right up until COVID uh, closed, shut everything down. We had jazz brunch every Sunday. Yeah. We're working back into it. Actually, Bobby McVitie's was there yesterday. Oh, if this nice. is coming out on Monday, it was on Sunday. But there'll be more but there'll be more more coming up soon, jazz brunches as well as we're we're um, starting to get the programming back up and running. That's this awesome. Summer and fall. Well that's definitely something I wanna I, I wanna bring up just you mentioned about curating a space and, and creating something for people to take that is more than just a product. A it's not just a transactional thing. It's it's fueling people. Uh, so I'm curious to know, like, w what other things are you working on? What what are things that you're excited about, or that you see the Racebook Lodge as a platform to be able to to broadcast, you know, to to our community? Because I think that 
it's something Rafa and I talk a lot about is activities and having programs and having things not just for a tourist, but also for us that are here that want to get out for a date night, for us that are here with kids and what can we do with our children to continue to stimulate them and not just be school home, school home, grocery store home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I touched on, our vision for Racebrook is really as a, as a, a place for people to gather and have meaningful experiences and connections. Um, it's great. We have we have nice, comfortable rooms, and we, we like to make really good food. But that's that's the setting, you know, for for experiences and um, and creativity and community. So uh, that was what I was inspired. What inspired me to really dive in eight, ten years ago, um, and especially with COVID, I feel like it's bad. in the last couple of years, I've really just gotten a little bit on the hamster wheel of just the administration and yeah. um, and uh, nuts and bolts, especially with uh, the labor crisis that's been happening these days has been a little brutal yeah. in recent, the last year or so. Um, but we're getting it back together. Like we're bringing the programming back with jazz brunches. Um, we've scheduled a, several, and I have more in the works, really fantastic live music performances in our barn. Um, which is Patrick Watson's fantastic place. Patrick Watson's coming yeah. up September 16th. Um, we just booked Sun Little for Sun Little, for, yeah, I saw uh, that December too. 15th. That's going to be great. <clears throat> and some more things coming up sooner this summer. Just uh, posted uh, July 27th, I believe, or is it the 29th? The Friday of that weekend, we are doing an ecstatic dance gathering with an old friend of mine who's a DJ. Uh, who has this program project called Dance Lab, which is all about people coming together just for real healthy, um, deep dive dancing, dance journeys. This is gonna be together with a, a Sufi practitioner who's gonna lead folks in like a Sufi whirling um, program that will flow into the DJ set. So that's gonna be a really beautiful um, experience for people to just move their bodies and celebrate in a way that maybe they haven't been so much. All right, just hold on, hold on one second. Hey, <clears throat> Alexa, remind me to go to the Racebrook Lodge on <laughs> July 29th. Thank you. <laughs> That's going to be great. <clears throat> and then, you know, we're going <clears> to, <throat> dance is really important. We're going to start just having some also more impromptu family, uh, family um, friendly dance gatherings out in the field of the gazebo um, that's going to be coming up um, local people especially keep keep their eyes open for that is thing. is are these events like consistently on friday nights or does it vary it, it varies it hasn't been we are launch we are relaunching the down county social club which has a certain uh folklore element of the berkshires from the last 15 years uh it started on thursdays we kind of made it not on Thursdays, but we're starting again next week with Thursday nights. I don't have the lineup to announce yet, but Thursday nights, that's going to be happening. The Down County Social Club, also called the DCSC, is our little like subterranean speakeasy space, which throughout COVID seemed like kind of an inappropriate space to be gathering. For sure. But now we're getting back into it. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a legendary um, space from the, you know, about 15 to 10 to... to to five years ago. The, the, the building has a, a very cool history, too. Whenever guests usually go to Racebrook, they, especially the restaurant, they're 
offered a, 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 a sort of a, a short snippet version of a, of a, some facts that happened in in the past and how the and some that didn't happen some that didn't that were, uh, <laughs> were made up made up which are still to this day I don't know which one is which <laughs> neither do we anymore yeah <laughs> and for folks who don't know the, the reason why I'm speaking so much as we is because uh, I did work with Casey at, at the Stagecoach Tavern for about uh, what three four four years something like that something like yeah it could it seem like I I, uh, I originally I got married my wife and I got married there um, and uh, I think about a year later I started working there just as a bartender in the beginning and our relationship sort of progressed to a point in where I was uh, managing the tavern and sort of taking care of the food as well. Uh, but anyways, uh, what, what, what's the background. best, what's the best way for people to, that are listening to this, like myself that want to be clued in as to what's coming down the pipeline on the website, website, we post all of our events, you go okay. to rblodge.com, click on events, You'll okay. see it there. <clears throat> more things coming soon. I do have some some more people coming on board, so I believe I will have the bandwidth to send emails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the email list, you haven't gotten one in a while. You know, don't give up on us; they're coming. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's one way. That's another way um, you can sign up for the email list and social media too, right? Social media for sure. Instagram mostly, and then that that kind of reverberates out to other platforms as well. Yeah. Um, just because Rafa mentioned that he got married there, are you guys still doing wedding events and, Absolutely, and yep. other things of that we, sort? We host weddings up to about over 200 people. Wow. Or small, we do smaller ones too, but our barn is really set up uh, for um, banquets of a pretty large scale. That's so We've good done to a know. Couple, we have like five of them this year. Several were canceled also yeah. kind of because of COVID. Some were rescheduled and canceled. It's, it's yeah. been a whole... Um, uh, situation of, around that, but um, we, we are doing it, um, and we've done two this year that kind of broke me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thanks to Rafa came in and like helped out, and that was awesome. But um, are you, you running know, all the event coordinating? I am right now. I'm, yeah. I'm looking for somebody to, to 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 delegate that to, and I, I've had you know lots of uh, job listings and do my doing my best to outreach and haven't haven't quite. Um, found the right person for that yet. Yeah, that's a full-time job. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like you think of it as like, a, oh, yeah, we'll just do this instead of that for one night, but it's a lot more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a lot, yeah, lot no, I, more. If anybody's out there and they like to do uh, produce events and um, want to work in a funky, fun environment, and mm -hmm. give us a shout. And you guys, are, you guys are doing something together soon, right? Yes, we are. Uh can you even pull up the dates here? Give me one. Yeah, Rafa in his um, temporary bachelor status <laughs> <laughs> next month or so has um, offered up his services to come back and, uh, and, and collaborate some more. And we're really excited. Um, you know, we want to bring back when Rafa was running the tavern. He was just really elevated the experience there in a big way. And uh, both when the... Um, the dining experience and the, the experience itself in the front of the house as well as the food and um, we were doing a really a really great um, multi-course tasting menu and, and Rafa's going to come back and present that again for a couple of weeks 
so excited about. Yeah, that's something that we used that we used to do in the past. Um, many different ways that we did this. I, I'm not entirely sure what uh, the menu is going to be, but there's definitely going to be some uh, some uh, some items that were there before. We used to do a wonderful ragu, which we called a hunter's ragu with fresh pasta and had a little bit of uh, rabbit, a little bit of venison, a little bit of wild boar, and it was made sort of in the way that uh, a previous chef that had worked there, Andrea, Italian guy that used to work at Fat Duck. Mm. And you know Fat Duck, the the restaurant in London, I think it is. Mm-hmm. It's a three Michelin star restaurant. That guy was amazing. He was a great chef. But anyways, he, he taught me a way to do ragu that was still to this day my favorite. Rustic. Very, very much so. And then with fresh pasta, we're probably going to do some moisters. I don't know. It's a, And it's interesting because I, I, I feel like I'm kind of out of shape of the kitchen. But at the same time, the best menus that I've ever put together were menus that came uh, right after a, a, a period of time in where I was away from the kitchen. Mm. It just gives me, it, I, I imagine, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it sort of gives you clarity as in like, you know, usually you're in it and you're looking at what you have and you're looking at what's selling and you're looking at what, you know, you start getting caught up by the uh, mechanics and the everyday yeah, yeah, prep and sure. everything else uh and then you take a moment to sort of step back uh i don't even know if you had that sort of experience with now at cantina did you do you feel although you have two chefs that are working there now though yeah but but i know what you mean like so often when you're in the rhythm of it you need to continue that rhythm you can't just like stop and start a new tune so yeah. you, you kind of keep going things lead into the next thing um but getting the opportunity to start fresh, which I've now had a couple of times, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have to do full prep for a full menu no matter what. So there's no point in me looking to see what, what needs in to be there, used. Yeah. It's all coming in fresh. It's all coming in new. But I feel that even creatively, uh, especially creatively, the best stuff I've ever put out was, were things that, the best the best menus I've ever put out were menus that I was I had spent at least a couple of weeks not having to think about a menu mm-hmm. and then or not thinking about you know just something that just came and um, I don't know I feel like the downtime has really benefited me I got some cool ideas which I'm not going to share right now <laughs> we'll get you back in shape a little bit this weekend yeah Rafa had a funny a funny joke I just wanted to put out there real quick because <laughs> because it was fucking hilarious as we were walking up here and he was like man I'm out of shape for in a different sense not you know the cooking <laughs> sense he was like I feel like two years ago I put on the COVID-19 and this year <laughs> I put on the I don't know what it was oh, but I had heard that somebody said I put on a COVID-19 that's really funny it's been a constant man everybody you know like and you know having Casey said also you know having kids kind of does that to you you know you kind of uh, dad bod yeah yeah it, it yeah, does big do time it dad bod. I'm hungry okay looks like we're having Annie's mac and cheese again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and actually, Casey, on that note, I wanted to ask you, because you grew up here, uh, and you had an experience of growing up here, of growing up in the Berkshires, growing up in Stockbridge. Um, Do you, you have kids now, you have two girls who I know very well, very cute, and uh, and how do you see that it's, how do you see 
you see any differences? And if you if you, if you see how is it different than when you were growing up in the Berkshires? Well, especially, sorry to chime in real quick, but especially because, as you said, you grew up in this industry, and I think so many people that are in this industry always think, like, the best service I can do for my children is to get them as far away from this as possible. <laughs> and yet, you know, you're back in, and now your kids are growing. Do you live You live near the restaurant? We do right now. We, yeah. we actually have a house here in Great Barrington. We've been renting it out since the beginning of the, of the pandemic. Because in this time, even like 15 minutes away is too far away, mm-hmm. especially with the little kids. So I can be just running back and forth between the family and the, yeah. and the, and the um, property. Um, but back to your question, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about that at all. So um, I feel like it's totally different. I feel like the Berkshires are totally different now than they were in the 70s and 80s. And I, I don't know if I can really put my finger on it. I mean... You know, when I was when I was so but at the same time, the experience of Bonnie and Aya, my girls, it, there's a lot of similarities, especially in the first four years. The first four years of my life, I grew up on the property of Music Inn, which I'm not sure how, far, how familiar you guys are with Music Inn. Oh, it's become <laughs> uh, it was on the old Wheatley estate property in Lenox. Uh, and throughout the 50s, it was this amazing jazz uh, center and that, that actually made a, doc, a film about that, um, helped produce a documentary film about that that has not really been released because of music rights, but um, back 15 years ago, we made this film about the jazz era of music in. So that was in the 50s, and then it evolved into this legendary rock and roll venue and hippie gathering place that, um, that my father was running at that time. And so I grew up until I was four years old in this environment and, um, you know, people were coming and going. There was music everywhere. And I don't really remember much from that time. But, you know, my, my older daughter is four right now. And so this growing up around Racebrook, the pandemic situation has, is obviously uh, a different, different thing. But she's had similar experiences of being exposed to music, community, um, people coming and going, interesting people coming and going. Um, and, you know, the race book is really special. Like, yeah, we're busting our butt. And it's some days, you know, it's really, it's really tough. The hospitality, the grind, the restaurant, the hotel thing. But the property that is just uh, inimitable. <laughs> oh, nice. It's, it's the word of the day. Nice. It's You said you'd give him 50 bucks if he used <laughs> well, it. There you go. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's like, and that's, that's what I'm drawn to. I mean, just like, I do love the Berkshires. It's a beautiful place. But uh, for me and my family and what we want and what we're interested in, I'm not sure I would be here if we weren't at, at Racebrook doing that, trying mm. to create this this place for for people to gather and have meaningful experiences yeah amen um and uh so so that that's that's really special it's great for the kids i feel like there's good community around great barrington there's good um there's a lot and like now like a lot of families are moving here have been moving here so we're meeting like new families new parents and um so i you know i really i really i can't i can't compare the it's just the the perspectives are too different from being a kid perspective right to be now being a parent perspective yeah, yeah. yeah. um everything's a lot smaller it's, yeah it, it's it seems way different and, and I don't, but it's still the same place with the beautiful beautiful na- natural scenery and uh and arts and culture and all that so i think that 
I mean, the Berkshire is the what makes the Berkshire is unique. I think, I think is still hasn't changed, which is it's this like rural setting. It's beautiful, mm -hmm. but there's also an element of sophistication. Mm -hmm. You have the cultural venues. You have <clears throat> a lot of like New York City diaspora that's here that brings a kind of certain um, sophistication when it comes to art and music and what they want in a dining experience to um, to like, you know, nice shops and decor and things like that, which is all very uh, interesting to us, you know, being in hospitality. And so, you know, and being a rural place, but also being very liberal, you know, that's kind of a combination actually we take for granted here, but it's a bubble. Yeah. Good, most rural places, people don't necessarily think the same way a lot of us do when it comes to political issues and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that, I didn't answer your question, but it was a good, it was a <laughs> good thing to it. talk about. No, no, you did answer my how, question. How many days a week are you guys open right now? The restaurant's open four nights a week. Thursday. Uh, but the hotel's open all the time. Thursday through Sunday? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would cool. like to add Wednesday uh, once we have the people. Okay, so let's talk. <laughs> let's let's talk about the people. What's what what's the team look like right now, and like what are the what are the components that you feel like you need in order to take it to the next level? And by the next level, I mean getting emails out, you being able to spend a couple hours at a desk and feel good that you checked the boxes, but that you're not drilled to a desk or not able to get to that desk. The yeah. event coordinator. Yeah. What 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 pieces do you really think are gonna be able to let you? finalize that vision that you have it will number one and this is in eight years we've never quite nailed it and, and have found like a really good uh, relationship um, is, is a chef a head chef for the property so a um, couple of chefs have come and gone and um, weren't a good fit and then more recently it's just yeah, it's been it's been it's just been the challenge. I don't. I don't know what the what the secret is. And we've the, our best times actually have been in the last couple of years when we've been operating without a chef, just with like a really awesome team of people in the kitchen, but nobody who really wants to step into that role. Yeah, that was that was. And we, Rafa, Rafa was the acting was the chef, model. like uh, for for a long time. Well, after that, after that word, that word I Andrea feel like it, <laughs> that uh, word is loaded. <laughs> it's loaded. I mean, it's so loaded. I mean, what's what's a chef? What's a cook? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, we recently had somebody who I really thought was was like gonna be a great fit, and things went pretty were going pretty well, um, and then he vanished into thin air, and like Dude. I'd already been through a lot of drama with chefs, but that was just like, the the and he was you know he was not not a sous chef, not a line cook, he was supposed to be running things. Yeah. But anyway, so that's number one. Yeah. But I've kind of like put that aside for now because it's just it's it's up to the spirits to make that happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no amount of that. indeed posts that will change that. Um, <clears throat> but um, I I recently just starting next week, uh, somebody's coming on board as director of food and beverage operations. So logistics, catering, mm. scheduling, stuff like that is is I'll finally be uh, delegating that. So that's going to be huge, um, and then. Uh, I would like to find an event coordinator and producer to manage not just our like the live concerts and things like that, but also especially the weddings. But also we do lots of corporate groups and retreat groups and wellness groups that come for two or three days on the property and we gotta feed them and we have to set the barn up in the way that they need it and we need to communicate with them and get their rooms ready and all that stuff. So somebody who can who can uh, take on 
um, those duties. Um, we're looking for a bartender, but like those are the key things because mm-hmm. those are the things that, you know, yeah, that are, it's like a full-time job that I'm doing three of them, yeah. maybe four of them. Yeah. So, um, that's, uh, and I, I'm hopeful. I haven't given up yet. And <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> no, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm excited about the things that we can accomplish. That said, I'm super grateful for the people who we do have. Yes. Um, who actually we have cultivated, especially through these last two years, a really awesome crew. Um, yeah, that core uh, team is And it was just, it was just like great attitude. Um just really nice touch with the guests. Like everybody, everybody, like the number one comment is even if like some things go wrong, they're always like, well, the staff was super friendly and that really made it okay. <clears throat> Typically does so, make it okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super grateful and, and I uh, don't want to take anybody for granted. And uh, every, every, every member of our team now who's been with us for the last uh, two years and, and a little bit longer and a little bit shorter in some cases, but they're just like, really stellar people and and so i just feel like add a couple couple more good people into that mix mm-hmm. and we'll be in great shape in your words what is what is keeping this what, what do you find are the catalysts for this labor crisis that we're going that we're going through right now like what is it what what needs to be changed in order to well, so are you talking about, you want to talk about hospitality specifically or you want to talk talking about in general labor shortage? Because no, it's, it's beyond just hospitality. It, it definitely is beyond, but I, I'm curious from the hospitality perspective because I do think that like food is, is changing and last week we spoke to Matt and the week before we spoke to Mark and both of them had these stories of being drawn to the Berkshires because of the food ecosystem that was mm-hmm. developing here and now years and years later some things have been realized others have not uh but i still think that spark is alive and i'm i'm trying to investigate and figure out like where where are the bumps in the road that are not allowing people to be like whoa uh food is interesting to me i want to be a part of this movement the same way it drew you back in and it drew me back in and rafa's still hooked on it <laughs> well we, we all know that working in a in a restaurant especially i mean hotels too but restaurants especially it's pretty, can be brutal yes. you know like physically, time-wise, emotionally sometimes, um, and just, and grueling. Uh, so I, I think that when, this is all anecdotal, like I, I don't have, I haven't been reading studies on this or anything like that. There aren't any. But Trust I think me, that, I've been looking for I think them. that when the <laughs> pandemic came, restaurants just shut down, right? I mean, we know that, they just yeah. shut down completely, people were laid off. Um, and they had time to contemplate their lives, right? That's right? And they and they also, you know, were getting some some uh, money from the government, so they're kind of okay. And they had the time and the the bandwidth and the the ability to explore other options for them, and um, and maybe to pursue the things that they always wanted to. They maybe sure. weren't in hospitality, and maybe it was working online. Maybe it was creating art or something. Or just like getting into, just like getting into what finding their real calling you know maybe it wasn't hospitality or maybe that was great but they were like wow i don't really i don't need to go to a kitchen and work 50 hours a week or you know or 60 or 80 or whatever yeah um i can be home for thanksgiving yeah and wow that was actually really nice i was missing out on this i didn't realize it yeah. so that 
I think there's definitely that. And, and then that sustained time that restaurants were closed just gave people opportunity to do that. And, and I'm all for those people doing that. I mean, that's great. Um, and <clears throat> and they, a lot of them probably found they could make more money also, you know. So uh, I do think that maybe it's I hope, maybe hope is a better word than think, but I think there's going to be all kinds of great people who are discovering that they hospitality is their calling, mm. you know, and maybe they're gonna there's gonna be a flow back, but I think we're gonna need the pay is gonna be better, the benefits are gonna have to be better, mm-hmm. the hours maybe even somehow you know will need to be better. I don't know how that's gonna work. I hope it doesn't, the prices don't like continue going up like crazy, so it just becomes a luxury thing that only some people can afford. I, I don't know, but like there's gonna be an element of that, or maybe people will just want to be okay to spend a larger portion of what they have to spend on hospitality experiences yeah right that's uh, a, that's a point that I, I feel like uh, you you've made before in our own conversations uh as in the, uh, there's a chance that hospital just hospitality in general or certain level of hospitality might uh become something of a of a luxury uh it's yeah I can, I can i can totally see as that being an outcome of, of whatever it is that's going on right now i mean i honestly i still haven't figured out what what are those people doing you know <laughs> what yeah, i mean are the, the economy right now is is the whole every aspect of it is just a, a bewildering kaleidoscope yeah. like i really don't understand what's going on i mean i think some people think that they do but it's just so complex and um I hope yeah. it doesn't turn that way. I mean, Me something too. something I've been like looking at is how do you create the normal restaurant? Because I feel like it used to be the case that it was restaurants and fancy restaurants. And we've really blurred the line with a crave towards quality and new things happening where now, you know, like is the Racebrook Lodge a, a fancy restaurant? No, but but are you just like a neighborhood restaurant that... Like you can go and get a, a burger for ten bucks, like with a family. No, and canteen is the same way. Like we don't have white tablecloths, and we don't use a crummer to pick up your stuff. But you know, we're serving you a pasta or this. Like it's, it's nothing, but it's more on the expensive side. But there's reasons for all that. So I'm 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 curious to find out because so many people don't want our community to turn into this place of just fancy restaurants where it's just for the tourists. Right, locals can't go there. Nobody goes there. Nobody goes there. Nobody goes there. But what what are ways that we can continue to provide great experiences, great food, without having to go too far in one direction or the other? Well, I guess towards that fancy direction. Uh, it's a challenge, and you know, as you mentioned, the long hours is a thing. That's another thing I keep thinking about. You can't change the hours. I mean, unless we we do a cultural shift where it's like, hey, dinner service is from four to seven. Like, it's always going to be a late night thing. And as I was looking at the, as the projections, uh, at the projections for Cantina and trying to figure out, is it possible for me to get everybody to 40 hours a week? And like, uh, certainly for cooks, it's challenging. Like, it's just not enough time to get it done unless you're putting people at three, four days a week to get to 40 hours, which is a tough thing. But I, I, don't, I don't see an alternative. So we're going to need those people like Billy that want to be night owls that that's when they do their work, that they get that done. Um, I mean, Rafa, weren't we talking about, like, 
making a great lunch restaurant. Like yeah. the, the days of yeah, like of having right. of having like a lunch date of like, hey, let's go out to lunch. Not let's grab a sandwich, not this, not that, but like, yeah, I'm gonna have a glass of wine and a pasta and a salad mm-hmm. for yep. lunch today. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll have my Andy's mac and that cheese. Sounds pretty fancy. <laughs> it does sound pretty fancy. Is anybody does anybody wanna pay, you know, thirty, forty dollars for lunch? I mean I, I feel I, I feel mean, getting gouged when I get a sandwich anywhere around here, but I know they're not gouging me. It's just the cost of doing business these days. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's like, again, it, 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 we, we need to whether, even if we're paying folks a little bit more, right, or a lot more, um, you know, if, if, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but like when we only have a certain number of people, we have to bring back our capacity, right? Limit how many people we can seat. Yes. And, and then the price goes up, right? Because you're only doing so much volume. We can't rely on the volume anymore. Yes. Now, that has worked out for us in the last couple of years. I'm not like, we've become a little bit more exclusive. And it's actually been, I'd say the tavern itself, the restaurant has been more, more sustainable, uh, more, I guess, profitable. I mean, we look at the... We, the whole property is, is um, you know, it's all combined. <clears throat> but the food and beverage, the tavern used to be a, used to be up until 2019 was like a drag on the business as a whole. Um, we, you know, t- brought in some better guidelines and practices, and then, and then in COVID, it was kind of a result of not, not having enough people, so we just scaled it back. Yeah. And that actually worked out a little bit better. It was just more manageable, especially without enough people to really manage it mm-hmm. um, if that makes any sense oh absolutely so, i've, I've always know, so, thought there's a bell curve right so it was kind of a sweet spot yes. for us we became a little fancier i yeah. mean we actually refined the experience rafa really led that effort but we did refine it we made a better experience yeah but it costed more and we very rarely got complaints about the prices um in those times um and uh and so that was nice. I would love to also, you know, that's, I mean, the tavern is really special for that. Like, it's nice to have a really elevated experience and it has to cost a little bit more, you know, then, then I think that's okay because you're creating real memories and it's mm-hmm. a place that people go for a special occasion. And if our capacity is reduced, then, then we don't need 100 people. Yeah. If we have 50 people, that's good. Yeah. Even 40 people on some nights because we might only have two people in the kitchen and handful of people in the front um that said we have a lot of great space a lot of awesome outdoor space you know so i want to create you know i'm really inspired by the taco tuesdays that you've been doing to actually like just create a more festive um uh you know uh environment in our outdoor spaces where we have food that doesn't cost a lot and people can just come hang out yeah have a good time I i think that is a big challenge because as we as business owners are trying to figure out what is that sweet spot. And, you know, over the years at Cantina, as I was just getting jazzed by the cover count. So I'm like, push harder, like add another table and like telling my host, like, don't turn anybody away. Just figure out, figure it out. Like, I want to see record breaking numbers. Like, let's go. But then realizing like, okay, now we need three hosts, three bartenders, eight cooks, four servers, two busters. And like, it's, it's out of control. And you got to manage all those people. And you got to manage all those people. And, and so we just tried to figure out where is that sweet spot? Like where can our team work most cohesively, most efficiently, and still provide the greatest experience because I don't want to have 200 people there and half of them are getting a, a subpar meal for one reason or another. 
but in doing that and scaling that back, you, you start to figure out, okay, what's, what's working, what not, and especially for you, similar to me, like we built this huge deck so that we could accommodate for the volume. And then all of a sudden I scale it back to I'm only doing 50 covers a night for a tasting menu. Now you have this vast open deck that's like empty and it feels like maybe we should start like rolling a uh, tumbleweed across it just for some <laughs> entertainment, you know, or, and even now, you know, we didn't put the full tent up and on a nice night, there's all this additional seating out there that people are like, why aren't you seating there? And it's like, no, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to solidify what our bandwidth is as a, as a restaurant. We have six burners on the stove and yes, we have this huge lawn and whatnot, just like you guys have these different rooms and these different areas and different bars going on, but you, you can't, from the consumer vantage point, they're like, why aren't you doing more? And so many things, and we talked about this last week actually, is the decisions we make are made intentionally. Right? You, didn't, you didn't choose not to open that room up tonight just to be limiting and be problematic. There was a reason behind that because if I see people in there, now, I, now my busser isn't noticing whose water's where and you're sitting over there and being like, I can't believe we haven't gotten more water. So you, you sucked it all in. Not everybody sees things that way, mm -hmm. um, and it's a challenge. I mean, I remember talking to a friend of mine up at Shire Brewhouse, the brewery in Dalton, and he has this massive space. They must have indoor space. They must have seating for 200. So on a winter night, it's slow. So maybe he has a bartender and one server and one or two cooks. But then it turns out that night is the opening of Batman 3. Oh, so he goes from expecting to do 20 covers to now he's got 150 covers. He has the seating for it, so people are just seating themselves because they don't know what's going on because mm -hmm. somebody's running around trying to figure out, oh my God, like, do we even have enough food for this tonight? You know? And now they're all sitting there being like, let's yeah. go, let's go. We get that with the Berkshire School parents who are crazy entitled. So it's like really <laughs> <laughs> We'll just sit right here. Exactly. You're like, no, no, no. But no, they're nice. It's, it's quite funny, though. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, and um, it's something that I think we're all trying to figure out. What is that new normal for our businesses? What makes the most sense for our businesses? And, and I hope that all the customers and supporters of us realize that we're doing this to make the experience better for them. It's not to make it easier. Mm -hmm. It's not to make it more profitable, like I just want to put more money in my pocket. It's what works for me, what works for my employees, and what's going to work best for you with those things oftentimes being fixed. If it was as simple as like, oh, I'll hire one more server and then we can open up an entire room or I'll hire another bartender and then we can have a whole separate thing. Sure, you'd do that, right? Of course. But sometimes there are limitations that go deeper that make, you have to make decisions you know, in one, in one regard or another. And I think that's, that's an evolving thing that we're all going through right now. So I, I remember talking to somebody, I don't remember who it was, but, uh, whoever that person was said, you know what the Berkshires really need? A university. A it's the university? Only, yeah. Big university. That's the only way we're going to be able to staff the restaurants. <laughs> Let's open up a university, Robert. Yeah. Forget that's that it. lunch place. That's it. You can fix it right away. First, you get the university. <laughs> then you get the lunch place. Then you get the motherfucking respect. Yeah, I, I'm like, okay, that's I mean, yeah, that's way to spend your time and effort. But sure, uh, yeah. let's shoot. Let's shoot a promo for Berkshire University. Yeah, let's know? do it. 
Gray Barrington University. Do like the fire festival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Berkshire University. Yeah. GBU. Casey, that's ooh, funny. Ooh, ooh. Casey and I had this ongoing uh, joke for a long time because there were, you know, when you when you're uh, when you're when you find yourself in a situation where you have an event or a group of people that's who are coming to to you, and uh, and you just. Do the numbers, you know. I got two people against 400k. <laughs> we had an ongoing joke for a long time that we predicted many of the events that we were going to have as becoming a fire festival kind of event. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, there are times that you just look at it and it's like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but let's do it. Luckily, we never had anything remotely close to that. But Yeah, you always had enough ham and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you just have uh, very, very people that are willing to work very hard. That's really it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the staffing issue is also, um, I feel like there's a, there's a parallel to the amount of you know like if you if you're gonna if you you go to say you go to cia or you go to a culinary school um you know you're gonna you're gonna probably end up at a really nice restaurant working probably cutting vegetables for a long time and you're gonna try to climb your way up to i don't know chef de partie or something like that and then make your way up there's sort of like a path right and then the institutions that uh will staff people like that are pretty much set and there's a particular type of restaurant that will attract a particular kind of uh, talent. Um, and it's interesting because people that work at those restaurants don't make more money than people that work at the restaurants that you both run. They don't it depends make a, where they are, but not, not standard. In general, not, not like in general even in New York City, um, you know, a chef de partie is, isn't going to make a hell of a lot more money than, than a person that works in the kitchen in the Berkshires. Uh, uh, in, in there's certain, more, for sure not. Yeah, and, but then there's a there's this so there's this discrepancy between the amount of uh, in the case of particularly front of house staff, there's a discrepancy between the amount of uh, effort or, or I should say like education that you need to have in order to get started into that, and the uh, you know I don't know it's like you, a lot of a lot of folks that. I feel like end up ended up leaving the uh, hospitality industry left because they found a way to make more money or make the same amount of money with the same set of skills. Cause a lot of us, like I, I went to music school. <laughs> it's like, I didn't learn anything about hospitality as outside of just being in it. There's no school for hospitality in general. It's outside of, you know, CIA and some other places like that. Yeah. And great parents. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, class of twenty twenty six. Let's go. <laughs> well, that's that's a different conversation that we were gonna have at some point. But um, you know, I feel like a lot of those folks just found a way to make their uh, living outside of uh, outside of hospitality in a way that didn't require them to have a degree in the thing that they were trying to do. Do you think if you put up a job posting saying hiring chef? and hiring bartender and you said name your salary hmm that's an interesting one like might uh, get some more might get a few more inquiries i don't know that it's going to make a 
huge difference. Because a few more inquiries can be all, all you know. We're everyone, we're all talking about inflation right now, and and I'm not I'm not totally following. I don't like to follow news all that much, but I follow ESPN and free agency just just started in the NBA. And I'm noticing inflation just by the fact that these guys are getting ridiculous contracts. I mean, like way bigger now than two, three years ago, even, you know, Kevin Durant signs a contract four years ago for 32 mil. And now Joe Schmo is making 45 mil on a six year deal. Crazy amounts of money. And, and I'm I'm curious to know like if 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 you interviewed somebody and you were like look uh, you you tell me your salary and then we'll interview you and we'll decide you know we'll do a stage day we'll check it out and we'll decide if if that is a because people should be making good money at this point it is not a laborer's job it's not just a I'm just here to do it like to to give those kind of experiences takes a certain kind of person that wants to take care of somebody else. To, to create great meals takes someone that takes their job very seriously. They're not hacks in the kitchen. They're professionals. And so what is, what is any different between being a professional in hospitality and being a professional in tech or in finance or in, or in something else? And why can't we start to realize that, you know what, it's no longer about looking at it in the, in the macro or micro Small of being like, okay, twelve fifty, twelve seventy five is minimum wage, so we're going to put you at fifteen versus we're going to put you at twenty. But really stepping back and being like, what does somebody need to make in a year for this to be sustainable? Mm. And and when you look at it from that far out, and that's what I had to do with this new tipping model that we took on. It's I essentially had to step so far back that I was figuring out what they were going to make in a year, and not these variables of like, yeah, I'll bartend here and I'll make good money, right? Yes, you'll make good money. Cool. What, what do people need to make? And the number is surprisingly larger than anybody thinks. Mm. And, and I bet, in fact, oh, who the fuck was I talking to about this? Somebody was telling me, okay, 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 customers. I had dinner with customers recently that just got back from this island up in Canada. Uh, northern, way out there, fishing town. Anyway. This woman buys this hotel uh, from this island and kind of turns it into this eco lodge. And on every menu or every coffee or every thing, she's, she's employed the local people to boost economy on this island. And each item tells you, based on that cost, that this shirt is $40, here's what it pays for. It pays for one person to be farming the cotton pays for one person to refine it at this much. And it really gave you this lens to hold on to. It's like what you were paying for. Hmm. It's more than a t-shirt. And, and so I'm curious to know if, if on, if on a menu, it said like cacio e pepe, like $22. <laughs> and like this pasta allows us to pay this person, this person, this person, this person, yeah. all of a sudden like 22 bucks is like, okay, yeah, no problem. Take my money. And I'm like, well, what, what are people even making right now? It's a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I, it's interesting. <clears throat> I have, I have asked folks that question in, in two contexts. One is when I'm interviewing people, I, I will just ask them, what do you need? Yeah. And that's where I start. And, you know, interestingly, they've come back to me with a, what I thought was a reasonable amount. 
But then when I actually made the offer in a couple of cases, they didn't take it. Yeah. So, and I made the offer was a little bit more than what they said that they needed. Yeah. You know, so that was an interesting, that's an interesting anecdote. There's been wow. three instances of that in the last six weeks. Hmm. And do you think that's because somebody else offered them more? Could be. They didn't specify. Hmm. I think it may be that they got the same amount, but doing something less demanding. Hmm. Um, and, uh, or other, I mean, one of them when elaborated is that I'd love to, but it's just not fitting with my life and it's not, I'm like, yeah. But, but I, you know, but it was, I was like, they were really excited. They told me how much they wanted. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. Cause it's, that's yeah. reasonable. And like, this is really important. So I'm going to go for it. <clears throat> the other context is, is with, um, and this is a, a conversation I've been looking, interested in, uh, having with you, but in, in talk, in thinking about and talking about, as you mentioned, uh, uh, a new front of house compensation, tipping policy, et cetera. Because I am really interested to transition out of the tipping model mm-hmm. completely, if or to like almost completely. Like people can still tip, yeah. but I really want to get to the point where um, there's there's no expectation of it mm-hmm. that the servers are making an hourly or even salary that is just meets their needs, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's just a professional, like you said, just like a professional um, thing where they're not relying. I'm not relying on the on the customers to pay the servers, and yeah. the servers aren't relying on how what mood the customers might have been in that time, and to to make their to meet their needs. Um, but I, so I would I've asked servers, hey, how much would you, how much do you need? And I haven't been able to get an answer. Yeah. So that's been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I also found it interesting when I was hiring. I asked people like, "What are you accustomed to making?" And I, these are new people that have never worked with me before. Two two fifty, you know, a night. Okay, that's good to know. But then, how do you aggregate that over the entire year? Is that is that a good night in the summer? Is that you're making two fifty five days a week? Multiply that by fifty two weeks a year. Is that what you're... As an average, that would be a lot, right? That would be a lot. But it's it's hard. I don't think servers and front of house people that are coming from a tip model really... Unless you're you're one of those guys that worked at a restaurant 17 and 9 in D.C. where the entire front of house staff had been there for 15 years. Like it was the same group people. They have four outfits that are exactly the same. That's what they wear to work. They do their job and they go home. And they could probably tell you based off of the data of the last 15 years... I expect to make X in any given year. But for someone that is, you know, younger getting into this industry being like, yeah, okay, you're going to pay me 375 an hour or 450 or whatever tip minimum wages these days. I don't want to make tips. And tips have always been, you know, when when you're young you're like, "Oh, you want to be a bartender, you make tips." Like, don't be don't be a busboy. <laughs> don't be a cook. Don't be a dishwasher. You want to be where the tips are. That's where the money is. And I think that especially as we were starting this whole thing, having those conversations and really looking at it from a bird's eye view is challenging, but is important to figure out, cool, my my rent is a fixed cost. Like that's not going to change. My cell phone bill is a fixed, my car payment, fixed cost. But to have a variable such as tipping that can alter, it's snowing. You show up to work, you make less money. It's too hot. It's raining. You make less money. Like there's, there's just so many things. But gang things are going gangbusters. You make a little more. You make you a little make more. Make a lot more, but that might, you know, it's, and, and, I still don't know how much you're gonna make. And I would argue that 
just from the nights being busy where somebody sees like, oh, sweet, I made 400 bucks in tips tonight. Like that as a concept keeps them coming back because it's possible. It's like gambling. It's gambling. You don't know. But, and yet you're like, it's possible. <laughs> you know, like let's, let's do the dance again. Um, I'm even at the point right now where I don't feel like I have enough data yet from where we've been open, what, six weeks, something like that. I still don't feel like I have enough data to really understand if it's working or not within the business model. I mean, how long, how long were you closed for? Like when did you shut down? We shut down in July last year. So about a year, almost a year, almost a year. And then when did you start the 22% uh, Memorial day weekend this year when, when we you opened. reopened, when we reopened. Yeah. It and, was, and, and I'm, I'm just really curious cause I did a very similar thing, mm -hmm. but we just built it into our prices. Yeah. Do you think, and, and I, I haven't, like, I feel like I'm more sort of ethically aligned with the way that I'm doing it, but mm -hmm. I feel like your way might be better for business. So you just raised your menu prices, yeah. but let c people continue to tip. Well, we, put, we wrote on the menu oh. that the tips are not, that we don't rely on them in the same way. Gotcha. But if they, if they're experiencing really exceptional service, yeah, yeah. um, that they're still welcome to, and they still do. And, and there's been some, some friction with the service staff with that, with that language on the menu. Yeah. Certainly they wanted me to remove it. Yeah. Um, but then I say, would you rather be at 750, you know, an hour and just get the tips? Yeah. And so we, we've come to some, some, I don't know if it's agreement, but, um, because they're making less money than they think they could be. They're making more money than they used to. They are. Even when you put the put the hourly and the tip together. Yeah. But like I said, I do want to move. I would like to be paying them enough. Like I'd like to move in that direction to where they, they don't like any tip is just bonus. It's really yeah. nice, but not not needed. But I feel like what you've done is similar, but just a different structure. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, I, I feel like you're I mean, when I go and I see that the taco is 16 bucks, it's not really 16 bucks, right? It's 22 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or 21. Um, do you, what, like, what, I'm just curious what your thinking was that made you want to go that way. Because it really is just like raising the prices 22%. But it, you, it lets, allows you to post a price that's less. It's a, it's a value perception thing for sure. I mean, I, I, I think about this all the time when we're doing events. Would mm -hmm. people rather see an itemized uh, invoice of each thing that they're paying for with a smaller price? And being like, oh my God, there's a lot of things. Can we cross any of these off? Or would they just rather know straight up? It's going to be $100 per person. That's it. You're all in. Like, that's all, that's all you need to know. Or would they rather see the bar is going to cost this? The food is going to cost this? Dessert is going to cost this? There's a cake additionally. Or would they rather have a bundle package? I think that's a, that's a psych play. Um, I do think, I mean, even myself, I'm a, I'm a pretty educated diner. But like, if I were to go to a restaurant and see, the price associated with something as dramatically more than what my perception is of it, it would be hard to stomach versus getting the bill and being like, oh, okay, this part is taken care of. And now I have an option, which is totally independent of taking care of people. Yeah. I'm going to leave 20 bucks on top. Hey, thanks so much. Here's a tip. That's what I always wanted. Here's a tip. Not like, Hey, here's your wages. I hope your kids are still doing well, but like, <laughs> you know, here's a tip. I, the, the thing that I love about it the most thus far is not that it standardizes the, the tipping 
in any way because we in in our history we found that people actually like to tip more than 20 percent or 22 percent and i got one guy that works for me that we call mr 35 percent because that's how far he goes that it that like the value is there of you know the extra five bucks ten bucks whatever it is to get it to a higher percentage like i'm it's be, it's being delivered to me but the thing that i'm enjoying the most is that my staff for the first time feels like i value them that the business values them not the customer right and in giving them a higher hourly wage they show up to work and they truly feel like they're being paid not like all right i did my setup and now i'm going to wait and once the first customer shows up i'll turn it on again but i'm going to go back to my phone or go back to this or it's no big thing instead they're like yo i'm getting paid a lot of money right now i need to keep working so they finish their setup and then I'm getting phone calls. Hey, would you like us to go ahead and break the food order down that just got delivered so we can help the chefs out for when they come back, it's all taken care of. I'm like, oh my God, you're offering to break an order down for me? Like, wh where's this, that's unheard of. But they know it's a collective team and they know that they're being paid well and that they're being appreciated and their time is being compensated properly. And when you come in and there's only 20 on the books, there's not this like, oh, we're not going to make any money tonight. Like, you know, mm. hey, cut me, cut me first. Like, get me out of here. I'm done. Instead, it's like, cool, I'm still being paid to be a professional. I'm going to deliver on that, whether it's five people, 50 people, 100 people, no problem. And they all, they all really, like, in some ways are working even better as a team. I've always, uh, I've never had, like, divisions of tips. I always wanted the entire front house to work in an even that's how we're doing it now too. Just split bartender, right host, mm -hmm. servers, maybe not bussers, uh, but typically because they're we're doing the bussers too. <laughs> they all get the even, same. Well, but they're now, getting different hourly rates. Yes, you know? we, exactly. And we're doing the same thing now. Tips are completely evenly split based off of hours worked. Yeah. We do an hourly tip out, um, and then I can go ahead and dictate. Okay, this person is pulling more weight, and therefore they deserve a higher hourly. Or this person. Hey, let's bump you a dollar, let's bump you five dollars, whatever it is. And it definitely puts a lot more control into ownership, but again, like... A lot more risk, too. A lot more risk, and you got to see it from... you get Like, I forget what I was listening to, but somebody on a podcast or a movie or a show was like, one of the biggest mistakes I keep seeing is people don't multiply it out by 365. Like, so often you're like, ah, it was 20 bucks, like... We messed up 20 bucks. They're like, oh, we, look, we opened this bottle of wine, even though it's like sparkling champagne and like it cost us, you know, 40 bucks and, you know, we sold one glass, it's 20 bucks. But if you multiply that, it's 365 days a year or however many days you're open, that $20 is no longer $20. And it works the same way with paying staff where I'm like, oh, sweet. We had a good week this week. My payroll was $35,000 for a staff of 12. You know, like it works. But then if you... Like if that if those numbers are miscalibrated by even the slightest bit, and that starts to trickle, trickle, trickle. So, my hope is that six months in, we can do a pretty good review. Seeing well, six months will be yeah, we'll we'll have gotten through half of the winter, so we'll be able to see the height of the season, the lull of the season. You planning on on staying open through the winter? We're going to remain open through the winter, staying at seven days a week. Chingon is actually going to move inside and do less of a taco night, more of a Mexican-inspired venue. On Mondays and Tuesdays? On Mondays and Tuesdays. So it would allow them to really like do what they love, cook awesome, rich, traditional Mexican food, um, and not just like 
hammer out tacos, taco, taco. Uh, it'll also allow the restaurant to stay open. It'll allow us to have two days where in the winter we don't have the capacity that we do on the normal days. So we'll be able to have two of those services uh, and give them a good spotlight. But my hope is that I'll have enough data to be able to go around and sit down with you and show you here's here's what it looks like for us. You know, open source. So so many great things have happened. This isn't mine. I didn't create this by any means. Um, but I'm, I may be crazy enough to like try it and know that if it doesn't work, we'll change it again. But uh, hopefully it does, and I can show, hey, I was actually under budget. And if I'm under budget after six months, guess what? Bonus season. Mm-hmm. When was the last time anybody got a bonus in a restaurant? Mm. You ever gotten a bonus, Rafa? Rafa's got, got I've a I've gotten bonuses. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Yo, to all my previous employees out there, <laughs> employers out there, and employees out there, my bad. Um, yeah, I want to. I want. I want that to be a thing that we can kind of talk about together. And I've always thought that we, as a as a group, as an alliance of business owners, can start to dictate the new rules of dining out, uh, especially here in this bubble in this ecosystem where, when somebody comes up and they go out to dinner, they're seeing the same thing. They're seeing that same verbiage that's on the bottom of my menu, that's on the bottom of your menu. They're seeing it on the websites. So it's like, oh, this is just this is what dining out in the Berkshires is like. I mean, I haven't been going out. What what are other folks doing? Do you guys know? Just tipping. Just yeah, the normal. Most, most are we the only ones that that changed? I don't think I know any other restaurants that are applying. Uh, um, Gaskins. Uh, well, I saw it in Hudson at the Rivertown Lodge. Oh um, yeah, I mean in Hudson, there's a yeah. couple places. And also in North County, I think. Gaskins is on my list the next place to go when I can go somewhere. I haven't been there yet. I don't Gaskins is fantastic. I went to Stissing House last week. That was really good. Oh, beautiful, beautiful it's renovation good. that they did there. Brand new restaurant. Really, really cool. Where is that? Stissing House is in Pine Plains, Pine New Plains. York. Yeah, Amazing we, drive. We went there. We went uh, strawberry picking at Thompson and Finch, and then we went to Pine Plains. Nice. Oh, nice. wholesome, wholesome. Wholesome family time. Good. <laughs> um, well, I, I think... I'm sure other people are raising the prices, maybe not so dramatically, like we're doing it for this, but to be able to support paying higher wages to the kitchen and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But the issue has been in the conversations I've had, as you increase the prices, uh, then you increase the tips. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to create a little bit more of a of a balance between the maintain that value right for the for the customer also maintain the value but but i don't want i don't want to just like increase the cook's wages and then by by raising the prices now a 20 percent tip on a two top isn't 20 bucks now it's 40 bucks and now i'm doubling theirs and these guys only got bumped from you know 18 bucks an hour to 20 bucks an hour it's like still the disparity is too much and so we're trying to find ways of overlapping the staffs in a better way to create more synergy as far as like mm-hmm. this is a, a total team effort. I mean, the first thing my guy does when he shows up, my host does, is he sweeps the kitchen floor before he even starts the dining room. Hey, coming through, I'm sweeping. Which is like, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's pretty that's amazing. Insane. That's pretty amazing. I mean, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. But you know what? I asked him to. I said, yeah. you know what? It's not that hard. It's not going to take extra t- like too much time out of your day. We haven't had a host in two years. So I'll keep that in mind when we have okay. one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so how much would you like to get paid? And what would you do if I told you you also had to sweep the kitchen at 3.30? <laughs> 
I want a hundred thousand dollars a year, <laughs> and I only work Higher. Mondays and Monday through Wednesday. Um, yeah, I, I hope it works, and and I also think verbiage is a is a really good point that you made that like having it right and workshopping that and talking to customers about it, talking to other business about it and talking to your employees about it and having that spiel down because it's been a transition for us. It's, it's inevitable. Like, excuse me, what is this? And there's confusion. Like, am I, do you want me to tip on top of us? And even the first couple of times I saw it as a diner, I had to ask my server, do you want, should I be tipping on top of this? Just tell me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't but know. But you guys say, you to kind of kind of tell people not to, right? Or you say it's pretty. I mean, it's. I mean, I only went there for taco night, so I yeah. don't know what you do on the other nights. But it, it's like up there. Be like tipping is not necessary. Yeah, I mean, we everybody is totally cool. Uh, we're finding that people are tipping somewhere between five and ten percent still, mm-hmm. um, on average, which is great because it just boosts everybody's hourlies another, you know, couple bucks, mm-hmm. whatever it is, spread out among much more people than it mm-hmm. was before than just the immediate, you know, front of house core. Um, but I think that this, I mean, just, just, just this conversation right here being broadcasted out, I hope will, will help draw more attention and, and don't be afraid to have a conversation, you know, to, from a consumer perspective to ask, uh, your server or the manager or somebody that you're emailing with about a reservation and say, Hey, how are the tips distributed? And, you know, and what, you know, what, what, what is recommended? In fact, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Like, we go out to dinner, the three of us right now. Mm-hmm. Any restaurant that's doing traditional tipping. And everything was great. Rafa goes ahead and puts his credit card down because he's an asshole and does this whole thing. We're like, come on, let's split it three ways, you know. <laughs> And then the server's like, no, please, please don't split it three ways. I'm the only person working tonight, and I have five other things to do right now. And Rob is like, I got this. I got this. So uh, because a lot of people are still in their old ways of, well, back, back in my day, you know, like minimum wage was $8 an hour, and, uh, and you tipped 15%. So I'm just curious. I wanted to broadcast a little bit as far as like what, what are industry practices as far as tipping goes. Uh, I tip 25% across the board. Okay. I usually calculate what 20% would be and then round up a few bucks up. So if it was $80, I'll probably tip $20. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in the sliding scale 20 to 25. Yeah. Depending on the situation. If there's a 22% box, I'll usually check it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if 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 I'm if I if I'm feeling particularly generous and if it was something outstanding, sometimes I'm I'm much more generous than that. Oh, sure, I've, there's definitely I've, there's I've definitely times side. when when one can be yeah more generous for sure. But it's always particularly in 20. bars for me. Particularly in bars, I, I feel like, like uh, I feel like bartenders are the least, even though they they're known to making a lot of tips. That's usually bartenders that make a lot of tips are the bartenders that don't live in the Berkshires because yeah, we don't have a place yeah. where you go in and you get a beer and then you, you drop a tip and then there's a hundred, 200 people there, you yeah. know, that, that doesn't exist. It's, concept, a, it's yeah. like a, around here we have a, a group of in the bartenders that are in, in the good positions is a, or they're a group of incredibly talented 
bartenders. Of, of bartenders that make very good drinks, they're very creative, they're good in their mixology aspect, they're good in their, uh, in their bartending aspect in, in actually bringing the, and they're also good in their customer service and actual service aspect of it. If I sit at a bar, say I sit at Mooncloud, I would usually tip a lot more than 25%. If I'm sitting with Jesse over at Cafe Adam or sitting with Ali up in Williamstown or any other bartender I respect a lot, mm -hmm. My friend Andre, who actually worked for Racebrook for a little while, if I sit in front of him and I'm having his cocktails, I will tip a lot more than that because I feel like bartending is uh, a lot less appreciated. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really cooking, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly there's a handful of those folks who are on the same level as as a, as your great chefs, or, right? And yeah. Cooks, yeah, yeah, yeah. In professionalism and experience and knowledge. I've always said bartending can be harder than cooking because it's all active. Kind of like garmage can be the most intense station because you don't have any ovens or burners to hide behind as far as like, leave this here, it's good for the next 30 seconds, three minutes in mm -hmm. the oven, whatever it is, like it's all active. There's no like, I'm going to pour this drink into this mixing glass and put ice on it and then put it to the side and in three minutes it'll be perfectly cooled. Yeah, and especially bartenders that, uh, they're... Very few around here, but there are bartenders that are getting around here uh, that you're going to sit in front of him. Like Billy is a person that I can sit in front of him and say, like, you know what? I read your menu. I've had all the cocktails. You know, give me something new. What's next? And he's going to be like, I got you, bro. Yeah, he's going to stare. And he's going to look at his bottles. He's going to think in his head. I sort of had that for a little while when I was bartending. Don't think I have it anymore because I haven't done it in a long time. But, you know, it's like you... you, you you're literally, it's like a jazz musician, you know? You're just, you're literally just improvising with everything that you have in, in, in your arsenal of, of licks and notes and, and, you know, you're putting it together and you're creating something brand new, you know? Mm -hmm. You ask a couple questions, you like something a little more sour, a little more boozy, mm -hmm. a little more like this, and, you know? And out of that just comes something that maybe even not even the bartender has ever had before. And I think that's that's a skill that, should be appreciated far more than 25%. I like it. Uh, back to your, Rafa, your initial answer to the tipping question, which is something I've kind of like come to like is, is doing basic math and then rounding up and knowing that the difference between, let's say your check is a hundred bucks, right? So 20 would be a standard 20% tip. And if let's say it was a little more and it was like 22 was the standard tip, I'm like, okay, if I round up to 30, that's giving, you know, closer to a 30% tip. But the difference for me is eight bucks. Now, is eight bucks going to make or break my bank account tonight? I certainly hope not. Will it go above and beyond for them? Because we've all been on the other side where you look at a check and you're like, yes, 30%. <laughs> I fuck so hard. This is dope. Yeah. You know, like, this is awesome. So, you know, even tonight, like, you know, I went and picked up some Thai food and was just kind of like looked at it. And I was like, look, the difference of four dollars is not going to make or break, but it is going to show an exorbitant amount of appreciation to somebody that's doing a really good job or maybe not. But either way, my next question is takeout. Any difference in takeout? I know takeout became a big thing. I know people tipped really well and good, good for the world for like realizing that that was something oh, that yeah, they had absolutely. to do you know, during the pandemic and really stepped up because it would have been just as easy for them to be like, well, I lost my job too. So, you know, I, I'm not going to tip anymore. Yeah. Um, but for, for takeout, 
from... Do you guys do takeout at all? We do. Yeah. Which is not easy on anybody, right? I mean, there's, it's, it's so often thought of like, well, I'm paying for the service. I mean, this is, this is part of the reason why tipping is such a messed up thing. Are you paying for the service? Are you paying for the fact that your water glass is full? Mm-hmm. Are you paying for the fact that they were nice to you or that they paid attention to you? Paying for the fact that they may or may not have massaged your back during your meal? Like, what are you actually tipping on? Um, I mean, I would say their time. Their time. <clears throat> their time. And when you're, when you're getting takeout, you're not taking up their time. You're not taking up a table that somebody else could be sitting at. Mm-hmm. I, I do think I, I generally tip less for takeout. Yeah. I mean, certainly with a tip, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I can't think of a percentage. But it would be, I don't think about it as much as when I'm, when I'm dining in, mm. I think. I don't know, how do you feel about it? So you, 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 pick up, you pick up food from Koi. It's $100. Come on. Give it to me straight. Fifteen. Fifteen. All right. So until recently, and by recently I mean like the last three years because everything was a long time ago before Rafa's COVID-19 that he added on. Um, <laughs> until recently I was in the same boat. And that was partially because I was like, yo, I, I like to tip heavy when I get treated well. And you're going above and beyond. And when I go quick service, you know, I go to a little counter sandwich shop or something. Yeah. I'm like, look, you're not, you're not giving me that same high touch that I go ahead and go above and beyond for. No question about it. But once we converted the restaurant to all takeout and it was like all hands on deck of boxing, bagging, creating systems, changing the way things were working, you know, I need this, I need this, running it out to people's cars, all the rest I, I flipped that a little bit and I went back to my kind of thought process that we just discussed of like, okay, 15 bucks, 15% sounds about right. But like, what's the difference between 15 and 20? And, and can, I, can I afford to go just that, that little bit extra? I mean, it, it's, it's harder if you're going to, I mean, how many people are spending more than $100, $125 on takeout? Like if, if you're doing that, you're spending It's a money. lot of people. It, that's for that would be for a bunch of people. And it would be afford, for a bunch. You can afford that. You can afford it. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, when somebody walks into the stagecoach to get takeout, I don't expect a twenty percent tip from them. I mean, it's an expensive takeout. You know, our prices are about the experience. Yeah. And we we don't we don't really reduce them for takeout because it's not a huge volume, and I don't necessarily want to do more takeout. But if somebody wants takeout, they come and get it. I don't expect them to tip on the same level as if they sat down for three hours. Now, here's a question. If you were to adopt my new 20% model, would you waive that on a takeout order? Would I waive that for takeout order? Yeah. Because uh, I, I have it stated. No, on I mean, probably not. I might have to say it's 10% or 50 I might have a difference, so I wouldn't waive it completely. Mm. Um, because, like I said, right now we have the same prices for takeout. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I don't necessarily want to or have the bandwidth to do more takeout. Now, yeah. If in the event that we did more takeout, I would lower the price a little bit. That we did it like we really wanted to do. We like saw it as mm-hmm. an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to really to to build to build more revenue. I would bring the price down a little bit for the takeout. Because yeah, because really, part of what people are. Sp- are paying for is the is the space yes. and is the effort to like you know yes. care for an old property and yeah no it and no question stuff. about so, it 
<clears throat> so if you're coming to do takeout, like that's not, you know, you're not taking up that time and that table and all that. D don't you find that's, that's like kind of hard to, for people to wrap their heads around though? Of like, I order a burger to go and it's $12. I order it for here and it's $16. Maybe, but it it shouldn't be too hard to help them understand. Like that's, <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I know that. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I don't. I can't say that we've had people complain about that. Like being like, what? Like I, I could just take it to go and it'd be less. Like, sure, and and I'd be okay with that if that was the case. I'd be like, well, yeah, take it to go. I could, somebody else can sit in that table, and yeah. enjoy it. If they don't appreciate the the experience, then then maybe they should just take it to go. Well, we, we experienced that a little bit uh, summer of 2020 after the shutdown kind of had, had halted and it was like all outdoor dining. And we wanted, to, we wanted to get to volume. And we knew that a lot of people were not comfortable. I mean, nobody was eating indoors, so we only had the deck. And we're like, we can do a lot more here and people will feel comfortable here because there is so much room to spread out on the lawn. So we offered... And the menu was maybe eight or ten things. So you could have a reservation and sit on the deck underneath the tent. Or you could order from the trailer that same menu and take it in a to-go bag anywhere out on the lawn. And it was a, I mean, what I really wanted to do was develop two different menus so that it, it wasn't this question of why am I paying the same thing for a different experience, but instead, like, look. The burger's just out there, and this is just up here, which is what we did last year with barbecue. It's like, look, barbecue's chill. It's on paper. Eat it wherever you want, or you can have this tasting menu. It's going to be really expensive. Um, and you have pushback on that? No, but, but like we, we keep talking about perceived value, you know, and, like, and people's decision-making and, and their feelings about something just like they happen instantly. And I feel like price variation is something that is harder to d digest than just normalizing this is what it is. I mean, it seems totally reasonable and logical and commonsensical that if you can sit and have your food served to you, yeah. that food will cost more than if you get it from a window and sit on the lawn. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, to me, that, that's it, pretty it, straightforward. It does, it does make sense. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, going to the grocery store and cooking your own food is definitely less expensive than going to a restaurant. Yeah. Right? But it's a choice, choice you make. Yeah. We, uh, we were talking the other day. We were like, what if you didn't, what if there were no menu prices? Instead, you just paid hourly for your service. <laughs> right? So, like, you sit down, you're a four top, and it's, I don't know. 30 bucks an hour to sit there. Oh. What if you're paying... of what you order, though, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but what if you're paying for the service? So it's like, hey, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to the show, and, and this is... I mean, in some ways, I guess that's what a tasting menu is, right? You don't get any... You don't get to choose what you're ordering. It's just... Mm -hmm. It's all standardized. But uh, the last thing I'll mention about the tipping... Um, is what Square did for tipping, the POS system. And the checkboxes? Yeah. Well, the checkboxes and the iPads. Because, again, I go and pick up a sandwich five years ago. 
Oh, turned it around. Did yeah, I went, oh, yeah. Oh, five years yeah. ago. I ordered a sandwich. You know, as somebody that works in restaurants, I I wasn't gonna go. I wasn't gonna be in that like. Sure. Hey, I'm gonna write in a tip on this like authorization slip right now. So Maybe I'd stuff here. Maybe I'd stuff a buck <laughs> or two, or like even coffee. Right, you yeah. go and pick oh, up yeah. a coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, like once in a while, I'd throw a five in the ten. You know, if I if I recognize the person's working, yeah, I'll throw something in there. But then Square came out, and it was like. Tip, tip, <laughs> and and especially for coffee, where it's such a low price thing of like you know okay, I mean it's not low price <laughs> anymore, but like you know three four bucks, it's like would you like to tip one dollar two dollars or three dollars? And I'm like, damn, this is expensive fucking coffee. Yeah, and and then you feel this amount of pressure of like okay. I'm being presented with this. I don't want to be the guy that hits no tip. But I'm, I'm curious to know from those businesses, are they relying on tips to support their employees? Or are those employees, like when did the shift happen where it was okay to I would lie? say it's probably helped them attract people in this time. Yeah. Because I'm sure those people are making more money than they were two, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. Right? But that, man, that's just how it is. Yeah, whenever whenever I get I, I get one of those, I I I feel like a my ethos with tipping is usually related. It's it's somewhat of a guilt trip, very quick mathematical equation that happens in my mind and where I look at it, and I think you know what I've been there. I just I'll put two bucks. Oh, but the coffee was three. Yeah, whatever. I can afford the extra two bucks. Yeah, percentage, not, tipping yeah. percentages on coffee are sky high. Compared to fine dining. I mean, I, I <laughs> always, 100% of the time, the cheaper the food or coffee or whatever it is that I'm getting, the more I'm tipping. Well, percentage-wise, sure. Yeah. But you don't know, as a, as a number of dollars, right. it's probably... No, no, no. Yeah, no, number yeah. of dollars, obviously not, but... It, I don't know, actually. You know, but, if you add up, if you that, add up the amount of times sense. that I go that and get a coffee sense. and go and get a like a, I don't know, like a, a set, when I go to, I, I love having sandwiches at Taft Farms, and every time I go there, the sandwich is like, I don't know, ten bucks, and like I always leave a five dollar cash tip to the lady that works there. Who but is they great. don't, they don't have a square system that like offers no. you a tip, right? So that's another interesting thing, like the bagel shop, for so long they didn't have an, the ability to like tip. So I go, I go to Bazalion's and get a sandwich and they flip the screen to me and now I'm tipping. And then I go to the bagel shop, nobody asked me for it, there's no nothing, like I, I don't carry cash ever, really. Like, right, yeah, I remember having that issue in the past where I was like, okay, can I tip you? It's like, oh, you should have told me that before I swiped your card. Yes. But I think, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been just, carrying cash now lately well long long story short on it uh i do think that if you are a supporter of a business i give full access and uh, i want that person i want the supporters to understand what is right and i love when people come to me and they're like just tell me what i should do i'm cool to do whatever you know like you want me to tip five bucks you want to tip 20 bucks like just i want to do right and so many people oftentimes get, eh, I don't know what to do, but but have the conversation, you know, even if it's some follow up. Hey, just had dinner at your restaurant last night. It was fantastic. Had a really great time. I'm curious to know, you know, 
it's it said tip is included, so I left ten dollars. I'm curious to know is that on par with other people? I, I I wanted to make sure that the employee knew that they did a great job, but also I, I think talking about it is super important. So Casey, are you cool if somebody sends you an email that you may or may not have time to respond to? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I would love to respond to that. Okay. Yeah, those will go to the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was, uh, I think we covered a lot, boys. Yeah. I think we've done a thanks, good guys. job. Casey, really thanks so much for being here. Uh, definitely check out, can you give them the uh, website real quick again? rblodge.com, Racebrook Lodge. rblodge.com. Just Racebrook Lodge on Instagram. Racebrook Lodge on Instagram. Stagecoach Tavern as well. And again, yeah. I'm going to be there. Uh, on the 30th and 31st of this month doing a probably six course tasting menu with some wine pairings mm. uh, bringing back some of the stuff that we used to do definitely going to be great I'm also going to be there on the 6th and 7th uh, so if you're around definitely come by and come and check it out it will be quite nice very delicious very fun. nice cool Thanks again, Casey. Thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Thank you, Casey. Again, you can uh, check us out on YouTube and all the other Apple podcasts and uh, Spotify, all the other platform platforms that uh, you can listen to podcasts on. And uh, that's it. Yeah, lastly, get, definitely give us a follow on Instagram because in the upcoming weeks, I want to start to do some polling from our, from our viewers on mm-hmm. other people that they're mm-hmm. interested in hearing from. We have a huge list, but definitely... Uh, are down for some feedback as far as who, what, we can't change the where, uh, <laughs> the why we can change and what when. Is, what, is the, what is Bunch? What is Bunch? Yeah, what is it called Bunch? So Bunch is a community of like-minded individuals that give a fuck. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of you know an umbrella for a number of things that we're working on, but this, this podcast is meant to really just be a, a conversation for us, uh, by us, uh, and just opening up things that, like I just said, that aren't talked about enough so that we can create a little bit more shared awareness and, uh, and continue to enjoy the things that people like yourself are working so hard to try and provide. So... Thanks for being part of the bunch. Take care, y'all. Peace.